Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of not knowing when to stop and starting season 12. Yes. Big 12. <laughs> Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. Now, we've had a lot of names over the years. Uh, we started off as the Fringeworthy Podcast. Then we became the TriTac Games Podcast. And now we are Gaming on the Frontier because our expertise and our ideas of how to have fun just couldn't be constrained to a single company. But that doesn't change the fact that we still like TriTac games, so and we will oh, be we, talking. Oh, we love them! Yeah, we'll be talking about them and a lot of other games uh, in tonight's episode. But before we start, we wanted to say since it is season twelve, and some of you people are new, uh, our listeners, and some of you have been with us for a very long time, and thank you very much for finding value in our podcast all these years. Uh, so, but in uh, uh, through the, so many hosts. Uh, but we thought we would uh, take a little moment uh, to uh, let Trav reintroduce us so you know who we are. Trav? Okay. Um, of course, we are going to go by matter of seniority. Of course, Mr. The, and I, I call him this, the esteemed Mr. Bruce Shepard. Um, the, the, I, I call him <laughs> the, the, uh, the last OG of this podcast since it was he, John Ryer, and Peter Bryant, a.k.a. Blix, who started this you know, 11 years ago now. And so, yes, he's been plugging on through this and has watched hosts come and go and has, and, and despite me coming in halfway through season two, I still follow his star because I, I mean, and I proved it even today, you know, he asked me a question. I, I didn't mean to correct him, but just we were off on a date and he's like, Oh yeah, Trev, you're right. Okay. Yeah. I, I still, after all this time, I still see myself as an assistant, even though I edit and you know all that. Just still, I. But yes, we have Bruce Shepard. Then, of course, myself, Trab, aka Robert Pulaski. As I said, I came in through halfway through season two uh, with a uh, JP Haley, who was with us on and off for a little while. Until he decided that making money as a cab driver was more important than talking about games. I don't Well, you know I do yeah. not understand his <laughs> his values, his priorities. I just think that's crazy talk. We adore Jay. If you're listening, we adore you. We miss you being on here, buddy. Just yeah, it did. And of course, this past year we gained a new co host. Where? Where? Yeah. Where? <laughs> And I can I can hear Jonathan's neck turning as he's looking around at his chair. Yeah, you these, scr these scritches coming from behind the wall. Oh yeah, we we should let him out. Yeah, you know, says Jonathan, 
He says, "Come into the light. Come on." <laughs> you told me there was. You told me there was a Montiato in here. There's no Montiato. Mr. Jonathan Thomas from the great state of Alabama. Thank you, sir, for sticking around with us for this past year and not going. No, screw this. No, this is uh, this ain't right. No. Yeah. Well, you know, originally I thought that you know, uh, I you know, eventually I would find myself up in the Michigan, Chicago, you know, area, uh, you know, and 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 just basically be part of the the the. Uh, well, not the extended. I'm already in. Was in the extended, but the more closer TriTac family, you know, where we go to we we go to conventions together. We we work more, you know, and that never happened. I mean, basically, uh, I stayed down here in Atlanta uh, after moving up from West Virginia, and uh, I spent you know, and then um, uh, and and Richard stayed up in Michigan. You know, well, much, yeah, much I, to I, my much to my amazement, considering you know, uh, the poor guy has had such a hard time, you know, with what happened to Detroit. I, I mean, I'm no no fault of his own, but I mean, if if, if what happened to Detroit had happened to Atlanta, I would have moved. <laughs> so, th- this was his home. I mean, this this area was yeah. I get it, but still, you know, uh, more than once I said, Richard, you know, you can edit books. Anywhere, okay. Come on down to Atlanta. You've got all these skills that with Apple. I'm sure there's a place for you down here, you know. But he didn't do it. So that's that, and that's now ancient history. What what we love and and drive drove us crazy about Rich is that he was set in his ways. And this is coming from an autistic person. Rich, there were times we were just like, dude, update this, or you can do this. We love Rich dearly. Bruce and I especially hold him in a position of reverence, but we also knew Rich long enough to know many of his little ticks and faults, and we were just like, Rich? Yeah, Pagemaker <laughs> is great, Richard, but why Aldous Pagemaker? Yeah. And so now we have in our midst Jonathan Thomas. He joined us last year, and um, how is it that you got involved in TriTac Games and its various titles. Well, wait a second. What what is your what is the earliest gaming that wasn't like computer gaming? What was the earliest tabletop gaming you ever did? Not counting like the usual kitty games of like Candyland and Snakes and Ladders and all that. Um, it would have been uh, se- second edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I would have been about. 14 or 15 at the time. Okay. And I would have been the, the DM because I was the one who owned the books. Well, yeah. Which, <laughs> which you got, did you, was this like a birthday thing that they, your family got you the books? Uh, my mother, who was always the odd duck in the family. Because, you know, there was a time when buying a $17 book, you know, for, one of four Okay, you know, it seemed like a lot of money adding and added up to a, what seemed like a lot of money. Now, of course, you know, four books, you know, 17 times four is less than the cost of a AAA game uh, on your uh, uh, on your various console. So it's like, but uh, so, yeah, so you got it all together and you did and you did your first adventure. Did you, did you buy a uh, uh, 
oh, uh, one of the pre-maids, or did you actually jump full-fledged on your own in your own adventure? I me first adventure was one I, I homebrewed myself. Can't say Ooh. it was good. I think it was the classic because I only had one other player who was who was my best friend at the time. So it was just one on one D and D at that time, and it was him going to slay a goblin village. I remember that. Anything else after that, I have no idea. <laughs> but I remember that. Why don't you just put their children in cages? <laughs> he, Dude! Uh, I, I don't know. think he got I mean, that it's like, You know, now, we're like, in those days, you know, go kill the goblin village. It's like, yes, it's righteous. You know, they're, they're a plague on, on, the, on, the, on the horizon, and it's only going to get worse. And, you know, now it's like, but what about the, the women and the children? And what are you going to do after you kill all the men folk? Who's going to take care of them? And Well, see, now, now we're old enough to realize that these villi- this village had to have women and children. I can definitely say that at 15, there were no women and children in this goblin that village. Never crossed your mind. Just a bunch of yeah. goblins. Yeah. It's just a bunch of goblins. If you play Keep on the Borderlands, the, the, the goblin cave definitely had women and children in it. But they were listed as non-combatants. So, you know, I guess at the end of it, they were all just supposed to troop off into the distance and, you know, because their men weren't able to hold their ground and everything was going to be fine. You never worried about what what went on after that, right? Yeah. Yeah, they were just going to slink off and die in the wilderness. Not die. Just go somewhere else. You know, in those days, if the monsters went somewhere else, it was just as good as them being dead, you know? Yeah, like, hey, not bothering my village. Yeah, yeah. they're not... If they're Nobody gone, else's problem. They're not a problem, right? <laughs> okay, so you had one player. So was it always the one player, or did you actually form a gaming group? We actually did eventually uh, build up a gaming group. Uh, I think we were up to, to three... Um, because it was a, uh, shortly after D&D that I also discovered the Battletech tabletop. Ah, game. yes. I still love Battletech. I'm actually replaying the latest PC release. Oh, okay. Okay. So did you uh did you ever get into Mech Warrior or did you just stay with the Battletech? Yes. I did eventually get into Mech Warrior uh when I got into my college days. I myself never got Mech Warrior. Never got. I never quite understood the whole pseudo aristocracy kind of business going on. Yeah. For us, it was it was more of a. a it, it ended up being more of a supplement to the to the tabletop game because for us, BattleTech was mechs on a field. Yeah. We just used mechware as a way of kind of better tracking the progression of the pilots, and every once in a blue moon, I might have them actually get into some sort of encounter outside of their mech. The rest of the time, it was just more detailed stat uh, stat tracking. Okay. So, how did you get involved with TriTech? Uh, that's your fault. Because ah. uh, at that time, I was going. I think I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not at all ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> I think wow. it was. Uh, I think uh, honestly, not too. It wouldn't have been too long after I got into D and D. So I think I probably picked up D and D around. I want to say 14 now because I think I was about 15 when I went to the Atlanta Fantasy Fair, and I went to their gaming room. And there was this guy in a bright orange shirt uh, 
running this game that looked interesting called Bureau 13. Right. The orange shirts were the ones I printed before I printed the black shirts with the, all the demons coming out of the portal in the sky. Yeah, it was just the orange shirt with the black text. Uh, Chaos erupts and the Bureau is there. Chaos erupts, Bureau 13 is there. So I, I sat down for a session, and it was, uh, I think, one of the adventures that later showed up in um, one of your source books. I can't remember. The, not, the, not the Steel City. Well, that was the first one I produced, Stalking the Steel City. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't in that one. Or was it? It was the one with the, the amalgamated uh, zombie. Basically, oh, the teens that, in the car wreck. Was, okay, yes, yes, that was actually something I I I put into the writer's guidelines, saying here's a Bureau Thirteen adventure, and I wrote it up, and and I I never actually published it in a book. It was actually in the writer's guidelines. So yes, yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was this terrible situation where uh. A combination of, of chemicals and and um, uh, horrendous and necromancy. Uh, par, and... You, know, uh, you know, yeah, they never, nobody ever followed up on the necromancy aspect of it. By the way, in any time I ran that, but yeah, and you ended with this giant. You know, uh, it, it was called the case of the baleful beast. Mm, and, yes, and uh, and it's just this thing. This thing that's basically like a dozen arms and legs and bodies fused together and moaning and crying and crawling around, just basically attacking anything because it doesn't know what to do with itself. So it's, it's just, it's in pain and it just batters, it just batters itself everywhere. And so it's, it's literally a bug hut. You're just supposed to put it down if you can, because it has no, you know, vital organs. <laughs> It looks ah. through necromancy. I mean, all you can do is, uh, the best you can do is uh, either tie it down or burn it up with napalm or or something, you know, drive a car over it and hold it down. Uh, but most people would get up there and they're like, I'm going to take my sword and swing at it. Okay, you lopped off an arm. There's 12 more. Actually, there's not 12, uh, 23 more. 11. In the case, because there's like 12 people and there's two arms per person. And, and there's also, you know, and meanwhile, it just basically just rolls up, runs you know, runs up on top of you and just starts battering you, you know, like 12 attacks per round. Those guys didn't last very long, the people that like ran up and attacked it, you know. So the people who did better were the ones who just basically just kept running in, trying something and running away and seeing if that, see, seeing if literally, you know, it's stuck. But anyways, uh, yeah, I, you know, I remember John, uh, Jonathan at my table. I don't remember, I don't remember him exactly at that table. You know, you have to understand that Jonathan at, in his teen years, he was a poster boy for, you know, the feckless, Dewy, you know, uh, wet behind the ears, uh, skinny teen boy. I mean, you know, he had virgin written all over him. <laughs> and, I, and he'd come into the table and he'd have this look of anticipation. And I'd be like, oh, man, I'm going to do some stuff to you today. <laughs> I can remember, I think, in that, in that first adventure, what... What caught my attention was we we encountered the ghosts of the teenagers first. Like we found we we, we were searching the car the, the their car wreck site, 
and somehow we attracted the ghosts of these uh, bodies, and one of them slimed me or something like that. I remember one of them messed with me, and I can't remember why. I just know that okay, now this is personal. <laughs> well, you, you know they were tra- they were they were still uh, trapped to their physical form. Their their body hadn't died yet, so the ghost couldn't leave. So you had to destroy the the ghost the the the, uh, the aberration the uh, abomination so that all their spirits could then go on to the to their reward. Oh, I got it! I got it! I get it now, especially after later finding that said abomination. And I can't remember if we actually killed it or not. It was tough to kill it. You had to, like I said, you had to work. You had to work together to do it. No one person could could succeed, and that was intentional. I want to say there might have been explosives involved at some point. Like I said, explosives, thermite—you <laughs> know—sounds like a bureau adventure to me. Driving, yeah. driving exactly the vehicle on top of it, holding it down, and then setting the vehicle on fire and throwing as many grenades through the windows as possible before running for the hills. Yeah, all that sounds exactly what you were supposed to do. But yeah, it was after that that I—I uh, I pretty much I think. I might not have bought my own copy of Bureau 13 that year, but certainly the next year when I came back either at uh, Fantasy F- Atlanta Fantasy Fair again or at Dragon Con that following year and saw Bruce again, played in another one of his games, and then found him in the dealer's room, and then that's when I uh, bought Bureau 13, and then that was my descent into Tritac from there. Descent. Yeah. <laughs> descent. Because I haven't come out of that into hole. the pinnacle of gaming. Yeah. So did you ever play? Uh, I mean, was Beer Thirteen always your game, or did you play Fringeworthy and some of the other games? I did play Fringeworthy. Um, the the main two were uh, Bureau and Fringeworthy. Um, were you playing any other games besides that? I mean, you know, outside. Uh, try occasionally some D and D. I did a little bit of uh, third edition D and I played in a, in a in a vampire Dark Ages campaign. Okay. Uh, picked up some Wraith by uh, World of Darkness. Really, only ever Vampire and Wraith by uh, World of Darkness by White Wolf. Uh huh. Um, played around with um, some of the like GURPS at the time. Uh, Marvel's superhero RPG back when it was made uh, by yes. TriTech. I'm uh, not TriTech, but um, TSR. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of definitely explored a lot during those, those high school years, but pretty much always came back to Bureau 13 and Fringeworthy. Um, definitely played more Bureau 13 because at the time, the only other one of my friends um, who we shall call Joe, because that's his name, uh, he was really the only person, other person in my group who showed interest, interest in Fringeworthy, but all my friends, would I could usually get them into some Bureau 13 Simply because it was much easier for that sort of monster of the week format. Because we were very, we didn't, have, we never had a, a set game night. It was always, huh? We don't have anything to do tonight. Want to play some Bureau Thirteen? Sure. Ah. Uh, okay. I, I either would would grab one of the the published adventures um, by Bruce or by Tri uh, Tech specific, um, specifically, or I would just make up something on the fly, which ended up being more often than not. It was handy to have that little randomized element to the, the to the rule books, and this was the 1992 edition. 
So yeah, there was a lot of rolling and all right, goblins and slimes. Okay. Yep. Back back in those days, there was the two supplements from um, from Tritac, Haunts and Hell's Knight, and then there were the three supplements from uh, Outpost Games, which was the company I was running back then that producing supplements for Fringeworth. I mean, for Bureau Thirteen. So those are, that was basically, you know, and a few other little things that might have been around. There were a couple Bureau 13 adventures that actually got published in small press publications back in those days. I was always amazed when I saw that. Uh, so uh, that was pretty much the entirety of the published uh, Bureau 13 adventures until Richard came out a little later with some of the other things that he did, uh, like um, Bureau 13 Extreme um, and... There was something else that I can't think off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm blanking too. Yeah, yeah. but anyways, uh, okay. So, uh, so it sounds like you know, really, uh, your career was AD and D, uh, Fringeworthy, Bureau Thirteen, uh, BattleTech, you know, uh, uh, some uh, vampires, some wraith. Uh, did I miss something? Did I forget? That was mainly it. That was honestly, as far as what was played regularly, yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, I, I picked up third edition D and D. These people that have played like you know uh, fifty, sixty different RPGs. I mean, you know, it sounds amazing, but they don't. That means they didn't really stick with anything very long. You know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's we're, we're talking. You know, I mean, campaigns. If you actually have a campaign, those things take like a year of your life. <laughs> okay. Usually do, yeah. Yeah, you know. I mean, and most yeah, people easily, don't yeah. have enough time to play more than one or two games, RPG type campaigns a week. So it's not surprising to me that they would, uh, that, you know, like I said, when people say that they they played all these games, I'm like, really? Have you really? <laughs> well, they they probably played a lot of one shots. Yeah. Yeah, they touched. They touched upon the yeah. They touched upon the games, but they didn't get into the meat of the game, where you're finding all the little things you can do with this game, and just yeah, you, you tip of the iceberg type thing. Well, yeah, and I and I don't want to shame anybody who you know you know tried to play a game and their game master you know decided to join up in the army or something like that and they didn't have a game master so they got into something else that also happened a lot. There was like some people were in summer campaigns and then the next year you know uh, especially in college you know they'd go back to school and there would be a you know and I mean every year when I, uh, when I was in West Virginia I was associated with a. Uh, uh, a university there, uh, Marshall University, and there was the Marshall University Science Fiction Society. And every year they had at least six different new campaigns of four or five different game systems that would uh, uh, that people were offering people to play. And and usually they initially they would have everybody playing, but then what would happen is, you know, hey, that first you know six week test came up. Or uh, or people found out that they can't they couldn't play in more than one or two games a week and still do their classwork or the the you know the the the, the GM didn't actually have uh, enough didn't really have a, a a long enough story arc planned and it, it just petered out and so usually by the end of the year there were only like three and it was usually the the, the same three one of mine and um, and two others by other people in the group. 
So, uh, uh, and that's that happens. You know, there's a lot that happens a lot. You know, and we're talking the heyday, you know, of of RPG gaming in the sense that everybody thought that they could put out an RPG in those days. I mean, there were literally hundreds of RPGs that came out and, you know, never, you know, if you, if you go onto Facebook and you look at dead, uh, the group dead games. Oh, the dead gamer society. Yeah. Dead I'm in that society, one. Yeah. Or old or, or old, uh, time gamers or something like that. You'll, you'll see people showing off their libraries of all these like games that were literally like one, a game and, and, a, and, a, and maybe a, a campaign book. And that's all that ever came out. Uh, and, you know, and, and there was a lot of that. And, and that was fine because it was just like when they did the internet, you know, in the, in the 90s, you know, there were a lot of companies that folded. They got money, they did some stuff, and then they folded. And everyone's like, oh, it's a shame. All, all those companies died. Or in some cases, they got eaten up by the evil empire. But uh, a lot of times, you know, it literally they... They just they they were outcompeted by somebody, but the technology that they developed that informed everybody else's technology. We were all better for it. So I wouldn't recommend anybody play Arms Law and Claw Law and all the other laws. You know, Roll Master. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Because uh, it was oh, even yeah. more uh, detailed and uh, uh, simulistic than TriTag Games rules were. So, uh, you know, and that was, and, and that basically was, many people thought the TriTech games were unplayable, though I always disagreed. Uh, I just never played with all the rules. Well, yeah, and that's, that was the thing is a lot of people, because they were new to gaming, they didn't know how to play, so they thought they had to play exactly the way the rules were listed. So every time you wanted to play a new game, you had another 100 pages of completely un- incompatible game system to memorize and, 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 and try to keep straight. And, uh, you know, and you always had that one guy in your group that knew the game system better than you, but refused to be the GM would be calling on. Yeah. And and of course that allowed that person to find all the loopholes and get away with, with literally murder. Not mentioning any names here, Carrie. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. that, that was, oh, in my college group, that was my wife, or the woman who is now my wife. So I'm still getting a lawyer, just not just Jonathan, the same way. Jonathan, you found a winner then. Yeah, you two are soulmates. <laughs> if you found somebody who, if you found a woman who will game with you on, on a multi-year basis, that's that's a that's a keeper. <laughs> oh no, oh, no, I've got one too. Yeah, yeah, it's. Yeah. Right. She follows my star, it's but she comes up with helpful. decent ideas. Yeah. All right. So who's next? Trap. Oh, as far as what? Being interviewed or questioning? You're going to interview me or should I interview you? Interview me. Go ahead. All right. So, Trap, what's the very first game you played? And what happened to your character? I mean, not the not the gory details. Did he li- Did your character live or die? Oh, God. The first campaign <laughs> that we did... And this is this would have to be my old game because I I read I had D and D books I'd stay up till like three in the morning making maps with first edition D and D but the first gaming group I got in was eighty nine and uh, Jerry Gentry he worked with me on 
Bureau 13D20. Um, oh, God, let's see. The first system we played technically was Robotech First Edition from Palladium Games in the basement of Comics Gallery in Wyandotte, Michigan. Yeah, and just so all these people who are my friends to this day, I've known them now 30-plus years. Uh, God, Glenn and Erica and Jerry and uh, sadly Jim, Charles, and Brian who have all passed on in the past few years and Steve and... And, and we've had some characters in our time, too, that we still talk about to this day. Just people who, due to some personal facet of theirs, we will bring up to this day. And we, let's see, from Robotech, we, oh, the big thing we did. See, I skipped AD&D 2nd Edition over entirely. Never went there. I went from first, played a slew of games, and then in the early 2000s dropped in OGL 3.0, and I've been there ever since. But, oh, God, let's see. Some of the systems I... Uh, the Hero System Champions. First, up and up and to and including 5th Edition. Marvel Super Heroes. DC Heroes. Um, we tried dabbling in Vampire and Mage, but just it didn't stick. We just were kind of like, eh, and it just fell through. Oh, God, let's see. What else? Did a little bit of other Palladium games, Heroes Unlimited, uh, got into the very early days of Rips, and it's funny now that I live like nine minutes down the road from Palladium Books headquarters. As I said, Kevin Sabita calls me the local Polak. I was talking to somebody about, oh, I was talking to my one Thursday gamer, Will Steebling, and he's like, Sabita, that's how you pronounce it? I'm like, yeah, I've known the guy for on and off for like 25 years. I live near... I, I, I've gotten an invite to see his girlfriend's Halloween decoration. She does it for a living and then works on the side as, like, with, with Kevin in the warehouse there. So, but all these games I played, and I'm at, I believe it was Confusion in 89 or 90, and my now first ex-wife got me an autographed copy of Incursion from Rich DeHolka. He was there, and... Here, Robert, I got this for you. And I and I, I don't know, Bruce, if I've ever shown you my original copy of Incursion, but it it's falling apart. Rich dropped the F-bomb when he saw just what could... I said, this is how much I've used it. And, you know, I'd see Rich at cons and talk to him. And, and the infamous 40-page or 40-question on line paper that I mailed to Rich about questions about the what I now lovingly call the Tahulkaverse. Because I saw the interconnectivity between Bureau and Incursion and Fringeworthy and, you know, FTL and all. And I saw that, and mm -hmm. right away it just all clicked. I'm like, oh, my God. The, these are all shared games by the company. It's all one metaverse. And I, I did. I'm like 1920 writing this. And Rich sends me a bunch of, like, material that never got in the book. He answered very few of the questions. But... It was a rabbit hole, which I am gladly still going down today. And so I'd be involved in the Yahoo groups and, you know, at cons, I would help Rich set up. Usually I'd help break down his tables. And I would also help him, you know, he had you know go use the restroom. I'd watch a table for him. And so I can say technically that I started working in TriTac then. He considered me an employee then. And then Bureau 13 OGL came up. 
And Rich knew just how intense I was with, I even ran Bureau 13 and Incursion games in the 92 books. So, I mean, I got into the system and of course the, the gift curse of TriTac, the body location charts. Wow, those are so <laughs> detailed. And then, oh my God, combat drags out so damn long. So, They're too Rich, detailed. Yeah. Rich, Rich talks to me and and drops that bomb on me. You know, Trav, I, I want you to head up the Bureau 13 OGL project. I'm like, excuse me, huh, what? Hmm? Uh, what? You said what? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you've got like graphic designers and, and computer analysts who know this game, you know, referring to Bruce, technical writers referring to John Ryer. And artist galore, and you're picking me to run this project. He says, you, because it's for the love of the game for you. And then I started working intensely online with Bruce and John, and I had my playtesters and everything. And we finally got it out, what, 07, 08, I think, Bureau 13 OGL finally came out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, okay, I'm a published role-playing game designer, and still sitting there just blink. Blink. And then 2011 at Rich's wedding at Confusion, January of that year, I finally got to meet Bruce and his son Eric and John and the whole gaming debacle with the John playing the Slark. Yeah, I can scan. And I didn't have him roll the windows down in the SUV. We're in, oh, we're in this big box. And I'm just baseballing at the table. I hit the button to roll the window. And John's like, oh, I can see much better now. Yes. And I'm like, that still haunts me to this day. And so <laughs> there, you know, I traveling, you know, through this whole thing with, you know, Bruce and John and Rich had me get involved with the podcast and just, yeah, folks, I say this almost every week. I've been doing this now for 11 years about, and I still learn something new about the TriTac universe every time. Just things that I thought were set in stone and Bruce will bring up something. I'm like, wait, hmm, what? And so I cannot express ever the amount of gratitude I have for having met Richard Zaholkin. And Bruce and I, we, we, we miss him every day just because either because of the games we run or because just something we will see or experience, it will somehow tangentially connect back to something Rich may have said or did. Just, it's like, damn it, old man, just... To me, I, I call him friend, boss, and mentor, and I always will. And so being here on the podcast, I still get to do that, and I'm carry, helping carry on Rich's dream. I'm in contact every so often with Mel, uh, his, his widow, Melody Natcher, who's now fully in charge of TriTech, because she joined in in like the early 2000s, and they you know were together working on it. And then when he passed about three and a half years ago, She's, you know, at the helm full on, and she's doing a fantastic job. I keep in contact with Mel every few months, and we chat, and I saw her last October at Fiasco, which is our fall uh, sci-fi con that mine and Rich's mutual friend, Freon, runs. And just, I, as I said, I can't ever express enough gratitude to Rich for introducing me to, eat flat out, some of the most creative, talented people I have ever met. I mean, I'm also in the internet, you know, I'm in the comedy music world as a DJ, and they have their ones that I pride greatly. But here in the role-playing game industry, and especially TriTech, I'm just continually blown away by these people. 
And just when I do this podcast, it's for me to burrow a little deeper down in that rabbit hole. And every time I get the computer going and I get the Skype going and now the pod being on the phone, I'm like, ooh, this is, you know, my second job. You know, just... <laughs> and, and even Fur knows that it, it's like, oh, you're podcasting. Okay, this is like work for you. Okay, I'll... And just, I am in love with this whole company and I always will be because it has never let me down as far as providing entertainment for me and my friends. And be doing this with friends every two weeks is cool too because we, we BS before, we, you hear us, we joke around during and then after we'll still talk. And it, it's the point of me and Bruce talking about family and jobs and all this because I've known Bruce now for God damn near 20 years. Yeah. Because we met online back in the day. We met back in 2011 in person. But yeah, I've known Bruce now for 20 years. I consider him a dear friend. And Jonathan, I like you too. Uh, the, the stuff that you've put out here, <laughs> the, SP, the SCP Foundation, and I'm blanking on the other one. You just did it too. You headed up your second episode, and I'm blanking. Oh, the the the, anim- the shows and, and movies we've used? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It, already he's premiered two episodes where Jonathan is hosted, and I'm just sitting back here going, damn. <laughs> so I, I enjoy I Jonathan's presence on here, too. I think you mentioned something about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back in, oh, by back the way, in college, yeah. I did do some DJ. Okay, yeah. By the way, folks, and, internet, I and internet radio as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember you yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. You did mention that. Yeah, yeah. By the way, folks, I do this other thing on Tuesday nights, a comedy music show called the Trapcast. The plug will be at the end of the episode. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Um, <laughs> I've been doing it uh, this Boxing Day, December twentieth. Yeah, yeah. Listen to the end. <laughs> I make sure when I edit it, I edit it so it runs smoothly because I pause a little bit. No, that this here I've been doing ten and a half years. This coming Christmas season will be my 15th anniversary as an internet radio DJ. And I am only slightly more prouder than that than of this because obviously I've been doing it longer. But I can honestly say the show and this podcast have gotten me through some rough times. Okay, I'm in fear of losing my job or I'm having a, a rough time in relationships. Just get to Tuesday and Wednesday night and I'll be good. And I thank the people here that, you know, present and past on this podcast that have helped me crawl along through some rough times to make it to do this. And I'm, I'm good for a couple hours. Those problems go away. I get to focus on fun stuff that you always learn from and other people enjoy it, too. So my gratitude goes out to all current and past DJs of this podcast for that. All right. Now that I've gotten that off my chest, oh, that was cathartic. That was cleansing. Oh, fantasy <laughs> breath. Life. Big D, cleansing breath. Hold yeah, okay. It, breathe in and breathe Hold out. it. Hold it. <laughs> breathe, breathe in the good stuff, out with the bad stuff. Yep. All right, Mr. <laughs> Sheffer, the, the little red dot is on you now. All right. Well, the very first... Uh, RPG I ever played was the Blue Box edition of D&D, and I did not actually play it. I was the GM. I had gone on a church uh, retreat, and I convinced two of the young ladies on the retreat to try out this 
strange game that I had brought with me because I was studying it. And they made uh, two characters, a elven uh, wizard uh, named Babington and a dwarven uh, female fighter by the name of Deidre. And they went into the wizard's tower and killed giant rats and spiders and finally didn't kill the wizard but chased him off, which was good enough. And that was the very first actual game that I actually uh, part uh, participated in. The first character I ever had died. We were all going together into this giant floating castle in the sky and uh, we went in there, did a lot of fighting. I was very low level. We got some stuff and we were all going to say, okay, we need to rest up and get some hit points back and then we can go out the next day and, and do some more adventuring. One of the players said, well, I'm going to go and I'm a, I'm a higher level mate, so I'm going to cast Magical Wizard Lock on the door, which none of these people can defeat. And, I'm gonna, and I can open the door anytime I want to. That particular guy uh, said, all right, you all have to give me your first picks of treasure or I won't let you out of the room and you'll just die there. Oh, and I convinced everybody in the room that says, I'd rather die than to give you anything. And we all agreed. <laughs> you know, this is the advantage <laughs> of first level characters. <laughs> Not much to lose. Wow. And it just cheesed the guy off so bad that, I mean, it wasn't like he left the group and never played again, but you know, it was, I thought it was gratifying that nobody in, in my in my career of gaming, nobody has ever tried that again. <laughs> he, uh, he, he learned that you know people would rather die than to give up their stuff that they had won through their own efforts and such. You know, so. Uh, uh, but uh, my uh, the uh, the next uh, but that character did die. By the way, he didn't open the door. We all died of hunger and thirst and all the rest of that stuff. So the next character I had. That was a first. That was a fighter. He had the worst stats you can imagine because, in those days, um, whatever Gary Gygax said was the rule, and he said just roll three d six and play what you got. So I did, yeah. Yeah. and I had a character whose highest stat I think was a thirteen. Oh, uh, he had to be a fighter because he didn't qualify for any other class. And, but he went through a, an amazing career. I mean, he uh, he died a couple of times, uh, but he managed to make it up to uh, uh, to ninth level when the campaign ended. And uh, he's you know he he actually was the only character I've ever had that got a permanent character portfolio. One of those ones you, ah. you actually went out to TSR sold character journal portfolios. And I bought one for him, and he's he's in there, and he's the only one in there. Yeah, I've had lots of other characters, but that was the uh, one. So, uh, so I uh, after that, uh, I played uh, a, a couple more, uh, a couple more uh, games with people, and I just found that the game the people weren't playing very heroic type games. They really were playing, you know, essentially back then they were still playing murder hobos. And at least the group I was involved with, they were all college students and 
a whole bunch of people who thought they were alpha males, I guess. And uh, they were always trying to get get over on each other. And I wanted to play heroic characters who work together to do great deeds, you know, and I couldn't find any games like that. So I started GMing on a, on a full-time basis. And I got a whole bunch of teenagers that were like 12 and 14 and such whose moms were thrilled to death to have the free childcare. <laughs> you think they would have sent them with lots of stuff for me, but no, they just dropped their okay, kids Bruce, off. Okay, Bruce, Bruce, did I, when you did that and you're like, yeah, and gaming, and then you realize, wait a minute, I just railed myself into being a damn babysitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I realized that. Yeah, I did. Okay. <laughs> And the funny thing is, is that, you know, the, uh, the, those, uh, those teenagers, you know, most of them don't have any hair anymore. Wow, you are just not keeping the gloves up tonight at all, man. You're just coming out with the zingers. Wow. <laughs> well, one of them is in the military. He shaves his head. Okay, well, yeah. but There's another one that uh, has, has definitely... Uh, uh, gone through the male pattern baldness. So it's just like, it's this one of the weird things is to go and see people that I knew as as literally uh, pubescent and just right into the teens. Uh, you know, families, kid, grown kids, stuff like that. It's just kind of crazy. Uh, but uh, anyway, so um, I got involved with TriTac because I went to a little convention up uh, in Akron. Ohio, uh, and I got to play Monster Squash, and I thought it was the best thing I've ever played since sliced bread, because, you know, I've never played a game where you got to make the monsters and fight them with each other, and basically, if you played Battletech, you essentially played Monster Squash just with mechanical monsters rather than clay monsters that ha might have tentacles and three heads and weird stuff like that. So when uh, that game, that that uh, local uh, Marshall Gaming Group decided to have a uh, 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 decided to have to run their own convention. I said, "Well, we need a gaming guest," and they said, "Well, you know, can you suggest somebody?" I said, "Well, no, I can't. I don't know anybody well enough to uh, to do that, and we have no money. But you know, I know somebody who's got really creative games, so let me go and call him up." and see if he'll send us some games that we can play and maybe give away. And, you know, it's, it's, it's prizes and stuff. So I called Richard Toholka up on the phone, and uh, and he said, well, why don't I come on down? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> wow, that's amazing. We don't have any money to pay you, Richard. He said, oh, that's all right. I'll sell my games. And I said, okay, well, you're welcome to stay with me so, you know, you don't have to you know, do you have any expenses with things like hotels and food and stuff like that? He said, "Oh, sounds like a great deal." So he came down and he stayed in my in my apartment, and that's how I that's how I really met him. And right before he left, he showed me galleys of this strange thing that he was going to put out that was ultra top secret, and it was called Fringeworthy. And I said, "What is Fringeworthy?" And he says, "Adventuring across time and space." And that's all he would tell me. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> he didn't tell me. And uh, But when I saw him at the next Gen Con, he had, a book, he had uh, the original uh, uh, fold-over stapled book for me and, uh, and handed it to me and said, you know, 
you know, have fun. <laughs> and I just, and then that, that, that was the start of it. It was a very, and uh, over the years, you know, uh, you know, it's, it was a, you know, I had the same problem with Trav that that so many questions <laughs> that were not answered ah, yeah. by the books. Now, Richard, you know, was like, well, just play the game you want to play, you know, and uh, you can, you come up with the answers and things like that. But I was like, but I was used to, you know, things like TSR, where there, that was not their point of view. Their point of view was if you if you don't know the answers, then you need to buy this supplement <laughs> that will tell you the answers. And there's one true way of playing. And so, you know, I, I had to learn that, but, uh, I did play some other games, I played champions. Uh, uh, I played, um, uh, a game. I actually bought a game and tried to play it. Uh, that was a very early game called element masters. Uh, which was one of the very first games I'd ever saw where everybody could cast magic. You know, minor spells, but everybody could do it. So you were whatever super, whatever demi-human race you were, you had some spells you could cast. You just threw a game at me I've never heard of. Yeah, and uh, uh, well, it's it, it had it, it it only had like you know never had any supplements. It just basically had the base game plus a supplement that came with it, and I got the collector's edition, and I and I actually sold it on on eBay to somebody. Finally, because it was like I hadn't played the game for very, for many decades, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> but um, I played a little bit of Arduin Guimar, where I played a half a Hobbit, because uh, they they weren't they weren't ashamed to use those words, uh, a Hobbit singing evangelist, kind of like a bard cleric, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was one of the characters you could be in Ardwin Guimar. And uh, uh, his his career was very short uh, when he jumped up on uh, God's altar and peed on it. <laughs> Suddenly, the clouds got dark, and, he man and, and the GM allowed my character to run back to his own temple where he could never leave, because if he did, he'd be struck dead. And that was the end of that character. <laughs> Well, with that character, you know, you know, with what Rachel said, his career wasn't the only thing that was short about him. Just say it. Uh, um, I see yeah. what you did there. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right. You're not the only snarky one here, friend. Right. <laughs> I was also uh, big into Battletech. Of course, I, the game I got was called Battle Droids, which got sued for copyright infringement by uh, by Lucasfilms. Oh. And, yeah, because they, and they had to change the name to Battletech. Uh, and I was like running out and buying all these six dollar uh, uh, BattleTech miniatures that were like they were like Aurora kits, and you put them together, and they, of course they were three times the size they needed to be to fit on the the uh, hex grids that they used in the game. But we said, well, you know, he, he's taking three, but the middle hex is what he's really in, and we we played that way. And I still have a bunch of those. Uh, let's see what else. Um, like I said. Uh, uh, did play champions. Um, most of the time in my career, I played, uh, I was the GM. So I had a lot, most of my, I didn't play in a lot of games because I was too busy running my own. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, I did play a little bit of D&D and some other people's games. Uh, but um, not a whole lot more. I mean, uh, I, I've, I, I certainly read a lot of books, you know, a lot of game books, you know, over the years. But uh, and I played a, and in in the last 
five or, or ten years, whenever I go to Gen Con, I always try to play a game I've never played before. So okay. that I get the experience of playing that game that I've never played. So, you know, I mean, I played Savage Worlds, of course, um, because before we, we tried to convert over to uh, try, uh, Bureau 13 or um, uh, Fringeroy into, into that. But uh, other than that, uh, I, I and of course I have played lots of video games over the years. Uh, but uh, that's because I, you know, I I wasn't able to get into somebody else's game. I never got into any of the uh, uh, World of Darkness because um, I actually got invited uh, by Mark uh, uh, Mark Reinhagen, uh to a big barbecue at his house. And there were like 30, 40, 50 of us there. I don't know how many of us were at his house. And after all that, we have this nice meal and stuff. He calls us in, and he has us all sit down. He says, we're going to do some really big things soon, and you've got to ask yourself, do you want to be part of this or not? If you're willing to commit, really commit to being part of it, we want you. That's why you were invited. But it's up to you. And I thought about it, and I said, you know, I'd rather hunt the monsters than be the monsters. And so I, I basically <laughs> decided to put all my – that's what I decided I wanted to uh, start producing supplements for uh, Bureau 13 through Outpost Games. And, uh, that, and, and I also uh, was like, you know, helped uh, do the uh, uh, Terror Watch – Bureau 13 newsletter, and then after that, I did the Fringeworthy Infinite Crossroads newsletter, and then after that, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, TriTac has pretty much consumed my life for the, you know, for quite, a, for many decades, uh, and uh, the, uh, uh, and not a whole lot of time for much else besides that, but I've, I've, I always felt it time well spent. And uh, I, and and I tell everybody that uh, uh, that uh, Fringeworthy is the greatest game in the world because every game you've ever played can be part of it. Because <laughs> there's a million million worlds, each of the uh, most of them with their own reality. So, and you know, playing Fringeworthy allowed me to finally answer that old joke where. You know that you'd read saying, you know, defi uh, uh, define reality. Give three examples. I don't know if anybody ever. That was like a joke uh, when I was growing up. Did you guys ever see that? No, I can't no. say I have. Yeah, and I was like, how do you, how can you define reality three different ways? It's just one way. But then. Role-playing games opened my eyes, and I said, you could have a universe with different laws, and things could be different, so reality could be different depending upon where you are. And to me, that was one of the big revelation moments in my life when I realized that you really can't, th that, that, that we put boxes around ourselves more often than, th than, the, than we live we don't, you know, we don't live in those boxes and discover them. We put them around ourselves and discover that we did that. And so I've been trying for most of my life to break out of those boxes uh, whenever I could. 
So, and gaming is one of the ways I was able to do it. And I have Richard to thank for that because, you know, he was never a guy that said, you know, this is the one true way. It was always do what you want to do, Bruce. I trust you. You know, those were, those were the words that, you know, I got from him. And it meant a lot to me many times in my life, you know, when things weren't working out really well, when my first marriage didn't work out. You know, those words like that, you know, kept me going. So anyways, so that brings us up to now. So, all right. So we spent an hour talking about ourselves. Uh, and uh, now, tr uh, and so uh, let's move on to the topic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.